Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and I'm joined tonight by co-hosts Tom and Kevin and we are going to do a review of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, the newest Wizards of the Coast 5e hardback. So Tom, say hello to everyone. Uh, hello. You can't just say like, this is Tom and Kevin, Michael. There's like a billion Toms and Kevins. Okay. Well, so but that's for why those... I'm then turning it over to okay, you. Okay. Okay. I see. I see. I should have just went with that. Okay. Yep. So <laughs> yeah, you, you all know me. Uh, this is Tom co-host of the RPG Academy. You could follow me at Bezcard Tom on Twitter. Yes. Mandalorian metal Tom on Twitter. And yeah, we're going to talk about this thing. Excellent. That's all, all right. I have. All right. And then Kevin say hello to everyone. Hey everyone. Uh, you, some of you may know me. Uh, I have had previous ties with the RPG Academy, but I haven't really done any content for a few years now, uh, not even on my own blog, uh, which is Melvin Smith's Geekery, if anybody ever wants to look up some old articles. But, uh, you know, Michael and Tom kind of reached out to see if I wanted to kind of get back in the game to talk about this book because we kind of got it around the same time and I was more than happy to join in. I'm always happy to have you part of uh, what we do here. Again, for anyone who might be new, there was a long-lived RPG Academy network, which was a baby of mine that unfortunately uh, I had to let go a couple of years ago, but we had a collection of bloggers, other podcasters and such that we were working with. And uh, Kevin was a part of that, mostly because of his Twitter handle, because once you like Eberron, you're in my heart no matter what. (laughs) Uh, But I appreciate you having us on and uh, joining us for this and always happy to have you on on anything we can do. Well, thank you very much, Michael. So, Tom, you're generally the master of ceremonies when it comes to our review episodes. So talk a little bit about what we're going to do here tonight. Maybe give some overall thoughts of Tasha's. Okay, perfect. So we are here to review the latest and greatest supplement from Wizards of the Coast for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. It is Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. It is the latest player's resource primarily. There's some Dungeon Master stuff, but it's for basically this book for everyone who wants to play the game. So what is this book? It is a, like I said, this book, it's like a lot of consolidation of rules and it has been created by the in-house D&D team. So you have your, your, the lead designer here is Jeremy Crawford. So uh, it's a, it's, this is not something that's been outsourced to a bunch of people like we've seen with the adventures. This is all of the unearthed arcana and a lot of the stuff that's been included in previous books that they're bringing together finally. So this book, it comes in two covers. You have the the the, the regular. All right, which one? Which cover do you all like? You, you, we have the one cover that is the, the regular cover. It shows Tosh with her spell book over the over the cauldron, and then we have the other, the alt cover by Wiley Becker. Okay, so I think that the art looks better on the standard cover, but I love 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 the look of the alt cover because it stands out with that sort of cream white look. Oh yeah. And it's just striking. And I really, really like that. So actually I I would prefer the art of Tasha on the white cream cover would have been a perfect blend, but I think that both are really cool. So I'm happy with either. Kevin, thoughts? It's, it's a difficult choice. Usually with these alt covers, I like one or the other more. Uh, And honestly, it's a little bit of a, step away from what they've typically been doing. Uh, like a lot of the alt covers have been very linear and very uh, kind of sharp contrast. This is very flowy and very uh, mystical, which, uh, you know, kind of lends itself to Tasha's kind of witch background, 
and uh, sorceress and everything like that. So, but I, I kind of agree with Michael. I, it's hard to split the baby on this one. I like them both a lot for different reasons. For sure. They're both super great. Um, Wiley Becker is a fantastic artist. They do a, a ton of stuff for um, Magic the Gathering. So Wizards is pulling into their, their, their wheelhouse, their strengths here. So, But this book, it's going to contain, it contains stuff from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. You've got stuff from Eberron, Rising from the Last War, Mythic Odyssey of Theros. So they mentioned right at the beginning, like, hey, this book, pull stuff from there there is something from ghost of salt marsh which i'm going to get into but they don't say that ghost of salt marsh is in here but it's in here so um and then what else we have in this book it's primarily it's comprised of four sections we have your character options which is the major chunk of this book we have group patrons which is a carryover from eberron arising from the last war we've got your magical miscellany so your magic items and your spells, and then we have your Dungeon Master's tools. And then the one other section that is right at the beginning of this book is a section about using this book. It's two pages. And what they, I, I need to stress here is that they say right off the bat, this stuff is optional, okay? So it's not like it's just rules that you can throw out. Throw out. The stuff in the player's handbook, you need to have. This stuff all builds upon what's in these other books it's stuff that it's these blocks that you can add on to your game to make it more complex or more interesting and then also there are these 10 rules to remember which i think are super interesting i'm not sure if you all read them but these are basically 10 things that people have struggled with fifth edition since the beginning and one of the ones that i want to point out just give you all an an example of what these things are rule three advantage and disadvantage it just says that even if you even if one factor gives you advantage and another gives you disadvantage, you only have it once. So it's not like they're they're stacking and they just cancel each other out. So there's these really very firm rules clarifications that are right at the beginning, which I thought were great. Um, did you all have any thoughts about this? I actually did not read those. So uh, okay. my apologies. Yeah. Tom, you the- hit the nail on the head with that one. <laughs> the only thing I read in the beginning was the uh, note from Tasha, which was kind of a character character flowy piece that's typical for me to go to oh for sure kevin then you know what uh so since you didn't read the 10 rules tell us about tasha who's tasha oh so tasha is uh she's been around since pretty much the inception of dungeons and dragons uh as this character one of the like prime spell casters i mean her name is attached to certain spells in there and uh, one of the coolest things about her is her training under um oh i'm blanking on the baba yaga baba yaga i don't know why i mean just a character from folklore that has been beautifully placed in the world of dungeons and dragons i mean just this i mean baba yaga is such an unknown such a powerful entity and to know that tasha had a tutelage under her i mean it's uh it's pretty intense. Yeah, I, super cool character. Um, it, it's one of my, since I'm coming from, I'm a relatively newer Dungeons and Dragons player. So I'm coming in it. I can't start it with fifth edition. So I'm starting to, I just thought Tasha was just like these random spells that were like included like in the player's handbook. And then like, I'm like reading this book. I'm like, oh, wait a second. I guess there's some some deeper stuff here. And I dug it. So I did think the whole Tasha's lore and the, her little notes were actually 
pretty cool. I enjoyed them more than I did Volos or the stuff that was in Morning Cadence. So thought her stuff clicked with me. She's much I would, more. I would agree. Me, so. I don't know how much uh, of her lore was invented in this book and how much is pieced together from some of the past items. I, I'll admit to not having a full like knowledge of her, but until like really delving into this one, I knew that her name was attached to some spells. I mean, we used Tasha's hideous laughter to take down a dragon at one point in time. The worst spell. I hate this spell <laughs> so much as a dungeon master. You're going to take my really cool scene and ruin it. Okay. So, but anyway, that's the basically overview of this book. It's about 190 something pages. So it's relatively brief, but it is chock full of stuff to use. And a majority of that stuff is in this first chapter, which is character options. So Kevin, why don't you give us an overview of this chapter? All right, so character options. I mean, this is by far the largest chunk of the book. I mean, it, it takes up 79 pages of a lot. anything. I mean, and most of it is dealing with uh, recaptured and new subclasses for different classes throughout the uh, Dungeons and Dragons universe. Uh, but there is this small chunk in the beginning that's really kind of interesting where they discuss customizing your origin, and possibly changing up some skills and different things like that, which hasn't really been touched on in Dungeons and Dragons before. I mean, it's always kind of been this static, uh, you know, if you're a dwarf, you have a plus to strength and a plus to con, or a mountain dwarf. Um, or if you're a high elf, you have your intelligence bonus, your dexterity bonus. I mean, it's always been very static, but something they kind of switched up in this book is they give you ways to change that up because honestly at the end of the day the player character is your character and as long as you're not doing something that breaks the game or more than anything ruins the fun like there's no reason why you can't switch things up i mean it, who says that an elf can't have a really high constitution maybe they spent more time in the woods than another elf or something like that and I just thought that was kind of a neat little addition. Uh, something that's kind of been bandying around Twitter and some other social media lately is the idea of these static racial bonuses and how, I mean, some people found them to be a little bit limiting and they addressed that. Uh, moving on to the subclasses, though, which take up the largest chunk of these pages, encompassing pages 9 through 77. I mean, we have just a dearth of different character options here, some of which are found in the books that Tom discussed, uh, Ravnica, Theros, Sword Coast. Uh, some of these are just pulled from there and kind of compiled into this one book. Um, some the of us- The Artificer. We get the Artificer. From Eberron. That's yes. Right. My so favorite little system. <laughs> um, and, and that leads off. I mean, the Artificer- is they didn't really switch that up too much. There's a couple little new things there, um, but they pulled that from uh, Eberron. Uh, they have new classes or new subclasses for Barbarian Bard, the whole list, and then leading into feats. Uh, plenty of new feats to be had. Um, a lot of them sort of, a lot of them are, uh, oh, you know, I'm blanking on what the feat additions are. Sorry, guys. There's a lot of, so I will say, since we're talking about the feats, I, since you mentioned the feats, I want to bring them up now. So I'm going to jump the gun a little bit. So sure. there are, I love feats so much, and I was glad that they included some of them in here. And I picked out 
two of my, actually, I got three of my favorites. Okay. So I love the fact that they have a chef in here, but all right. So we've, we've, we all know encumbrance stuff and actual like survival in fifth edition is terrible. So in eating food and sustenance and whatnot, it doesn't make any sense. Most people just ignore it. But what I like about the chef sub, the chef beat here is that basically the chef can create snacks, which are basically health potions. So it basically it gives players this really cool incentive to take a non-traditional feat. So I thought that was really cool. Like you're a chef. That's awesome. Also, there's a feat in here called Shadow Touch where you just get to become invisible. All right. And how cool is it? Like, I'm just like envisioning this edge lord that I've created. And he is my feet is shadow touch. I just turn invisible. Like, I'm super cool. I I love it. I got a very nice, pleasing aesthetic scar across my face. Like, I love it. So lots of cool feats here. Yeah, I don't want to touch quickly on the, uh, what Scott was talking about, the, the ability to manipulate your quote-unquote static bonuses for the race choices that you would make at the beginning. And not too long ago, we did a review, and I think I'm blanking a little bit on the name. It was like maybe Ancestry Awakened. Was, yes. It was something that we reviewed, which took this to a much higher level. It was third party, but it got a lot of traction. I really liked it as well. That gave you a lot more full customization. So this is sort of, in my mind, like a pared-down version of this. But a lot of the discourse that I've seen more so on Facebook and Reddit is that a lot of people are unhappy with this because they feel like it's a min-maxing tool and that people won't play certain races because without getting... Like, if you can get whatever bonus you want, then why not play this race instead of this race? My response is, okay. Like, like where's the negative there? If I want to play a dwarf because I like the flavor of the dwarf, but I want to play a dwarf wizard, then my dwarf happens to be really smart or whatever the case may be. Is, is it, is it really game breaking that I can have a dwarf with a plus intelligence instead of a plus con? No. And, and again, I know I'm probably preaching to the choir between you two, but I, not since I was like young as a gamer, did I pick a race because it gave me a bonus in a specific slot. I don't do that. I pick a race because of the flavor that I want to tell my story through. I just, I, to me, that is completely a non-issue. I know for a lot of people it seems to be, but it, to me, it's just like, I don't understand. Yeah, it was funny when I started reading it. To me, it felt extremely weak. All right. So there was this common complaint that you kind of said about people felt pigeonholed with different races and that they were felt like certain, like there was this, this whole idea that like, yes, dwarves, and orcs, they just hit stuff. They're not intelligent. So I, when I first started reading this, I was like, this is really weak. But honestly, it's the most simple solution to fix the problem. And it honestly, I think it works. Uh, um, and if you're at a table where you really do just want to have wide open the ability to create any character you want, it's still balanced here. Uh, because the way that they have it, you're either picking plus one and two or plus two and one. So at the end of the day, it's balanced and it works. Yes, it may be simple, but sometimes the simple solution is the right solution. So, yeah. So they, there's definitely, I was expecting a lot more here. There is only like a page and a half about this stuff. Hmm. So, but. Uh, something that kind of reminded me of uh, was, I don't know if either of you read uh, kind of the the clerical quintet um revolving around Candlekeep, uh, but there was a, a dwarf by the name of uh, Pykel Boulder Shoulder, 
and he was different in that he was a like a dwarven druid type like he conjured the shillelagh he had a green beard he was a bit of an oddball um and kind of but i always found that to be kind of fascinating to have someone go against the typical uh class choices with a race and i would do that constantly with my own characters and this just makes it a little more fun to do that that way like the people who want to kind of min max because you have that have them at your table now they can also choose the races that they want to play while they're doing their little min their min maxing stuff i mean it's going to happen anyway might as well give them all the role play options they can get for sure yeah so uh so yeah, I know Kevin. We we de- we derailed you a, a ton there, a ton there. <laughs> so the one of the things that we wanted to talk about is the there's so much stuff to talk about here in this section. So we're not going to talk about everything, but just know that for every single class in fifth edition, you get it includes new subclass options. So every single class gets new sub subclass options. So what we're going to each do is we've picked out our favorite subclass, our favorite class to talk about what's included here. So uh, you know what I've, I'm going to mix things up because I feel like I've done a lot of talking, Michael, go ahead and go first here. All right. And so I'll just clarify, this isn't my favorite class because I chose the monk, which I don't know that I have played a monk more than like once in the 30 some odd years I've been running games and playing games. But of the ones that I was looking through, I thought this one was really cool, so I wanted to cover it. Uh, So when you're talking about the monk, uh, it gives you two options for class features. So this is just whatever type of monk, whatever flavor you want to use. Uh, One of them is called Dedicated Weapon, which allows you to uh, basically, I think you spend a key point, and you can quote-unquote attune to a weapon that now counts as a monk weapon. Uh, it still has some rules. It has to be simple or martial. You have to be proficient with it already, and it can't have the heavy or special properties. But it gives you the ability to have the monk with maybe uh, a weapon that you don't think of as a monk weapon. Again, we're talking about flavor here, uh, where it's like, I want to use this weapon because I think it would be cool. But rather than having it be you know, a worse option for me for the min-maxing or just optimization... Now I can make it a good option, if not the best option for me. And I really like that because it gives me, again, role-playing chops without necessarily also giving me a mechanical uh, detriment. They also have key-fueled attack. Uh, And basically, you can spend a key point to make one attack with an unarmed strike or a monk weapon. So if you put those two together, you can basically get a bonus attack uh, with the weapon that you are now proficient in because of your other ability they don't have to stack but they can so we're giving monks more attacks here okay because that's what they need yeah yeah okay okay uh they also have quickened healing which gives them the chance to spend some key points to get uh additional hit points back and then focused aim uh you can spend some key points to get bonuses to a particular role uh one point of key equals a plus two up to a plus six total uh, then we have two new subclass options, the the Way of Mercy, or sorry, they're called Monostatic, or was it Monostatic? Monast- How would you say it? Monastic. That's the way. Monastic? Monastic <laughs> Traditions. That's right. You have the Way of Mercy, which I just thought was okay. Uh, basically, you're a healing monk, 
but you also walk the line of knowing how to heal as you kill. And so you can do things that will let you end someone's life or give them health by punching them, which I do find that that's probably the most interesting thing is that you can spend key. And in the middle of your flurry of blows, one of those can turn to a healing strike, which in my mind only makes sense if you're like adjacent to an enemy and an ally. So you're like punch, punch, punch. And then like you just do like a jab off to the right to punch your friend in the guts and give them a plus five hit points. I don't quite get that. But the one that I really liked is called The Way of the Astral Self. And uh, I think Kevin kind of mentioned, you know, the flavor of Tasha. Throughout the book, we have these little notes uh, as if she had written in her journal, and we're reading these. And in this particular section, she wrote a note that says, Note to self, create a spell that lets you throat punch with your ghost. And that's what this, this subclass allows you to do. So the first feature you get at third level allows you to manifest astrally projected arms in addition to your arms and you can do things with these arms in particular you can punch with them and you get a reach bonus so you can unarmed strike with these astral arms five feet further than your normal reach i thought that was cool at sixth level you get visage of the astral self which allows you to call up like a astral helmet that goes over your face that gives you some benefits including astral sight uh, wisdom of the Spirit that lets you use uh, or you have advantage on wisdom and charisma insights, or Word of the Spirit, where you can basically communicate directly with uh, a person or a, a creature that you can see through this visage. Uh, I'm sorry, going back to the um, arms of the astral self, it also allows you to use your wisdom modifier for things like strength saving throws, which is kind of fun. Then at 11th level, you get body of the astral self, and basically this is Iron Man armor. You basically manifest a, a coating of armor all the way around you. So you get the helmet, you get the arms. You also get some uh, benefits like deflecting energy and empowering your arms. And then at 17th level, you can basically cause this to be a little helper bot. So you manifest an entire physical form that slides off and out. has its own actions that it can take in addition to your own, which I think are really cool. Um, and one of the things I really like is there's a little sidebar that your astral projection is a creation of your id. That means this is like what you see of yourself, and it doesn't have to match your physical form. So you could be a human with dwarf arms and a dwarf visage, or it could be a lizard person visage, or it could be a dragon visage. It can literally be anything you want. It doesn't matter. But I love that flavor of that, you know, the arms I create or the head piece I create or my whole body create is unique to my particular monk, and it can be anything I want, and I just think that's a really fun thing. So uh, if I were to play a monk, I'm probably going to play this one. Cool. Yeah, I'm never, like, I don't know if I, I would ever play a monk. It's just not my, I'm not, like, big into, like, rolling a bunch of D4s. But um, <laughs> that, that, I mean, if that's D4s your thing. D4s for life. If that's your thing, man, go for it. So, all right, so mine. All right. I picked the obviously the best class in fifth edition, which is wizard. the warlock. The uh, warlock. Okay, you mispronounced yeah. wizard. Okay, yeah, warlock. We all know that when you want to play an edgy character who can do anything and has and is so much DP is a DPS hawk, you play a warlock. Okay, so we get some really cool warlock stuff here. Uh, so we're gonna get a new. We're gonna get a new patron. All right, which is the genie. And then we're also going to get a new pact, the Pact of the Talisman. Uh, you know what? Also, we get another. We get two patrons. We also get the Fathomless. Okay. 
So, but let's talk about the talisman. All right. This is base. This is the ultimate support class character. The whole concept of this talisman is that you, you, you have like a talisman your patron gives you. You can literally give this talisman to anyone in your party, and they're going to get certain benefits that you can give them, such as now they can teleport. Now they're going to get to roll extra D6s or D8s if, when they're doing their attack. Uh, now they're gaining health. Oh, now they get to roll a D4 to, for all of their skill checks or for all of their saving throws. So you also get these benefits. These are all through evocations, lots of new evocations. But uh, it's a super, I, I, I'm a big fan of this talisman character. So like, for example, like my favorite thing is like I mentioned the bond of the talisman. It is the ability you give your talisman to someone and then you can teleport them to you at any time or you can teleport to them. So it's this really cool. I'm, all, I'm a huge fan of this, the warlock who can just go around the battlefield however they want. It's just to me, flavor-wise, I love it. So, question to interrupt you, but I have to ask: Do, do they have to attune to it, or this? No, 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 so, no. This is the warlock has the talisman. I just give it to somebody. Now they have the talisman. Well, what I'm thinking, my first thing that came to my mind here is that you give it to the rogue. The rogue like reverse pickpockets it, pickpockets it, puts this talisman on someone, and then later you can teleport into like the inner sanctum of like a castle or a keep or something. Yeah, um, potentially. It just says that when someone else is wearing the talisman, it's not a willing creature. So they have to be wearing it, though. But still, yeah, okay. Sorry, I, I, you yeah. know, that was just the first thing I thought. I was like, that could be yeah. a really cool situation. See, this, this is Michael. This is why Warlock's the best because you. There was something in here. You're like, all right, yeah, this is cool. I'm, I'm going to potentially use this. So, um, so super cool. <laughs> um, super cool. New uh, packed the talisman. Then we get our first patron. We get the Fathomless. So I guess if you're into, I guess if you're into tentacles, like this is cool. Like it's like a tentacle <laughs> patron. Like Tasha's got a little like thing in here about like, oh, don't be making fun of people who like tentacles. Like, have you ever had like squid and nigiri? And it's just like, no, this is made for the tentacle people. Like it's um, it's it's okay. It's kind of boring because everything you have to be around water. So I guess if you're dealing with a water campaign. That's cool, but honestly, we're gonna, folks. You heard it here. Skip the fathomless, or yeah, just do it, okay? Because you have the genie, which is the all right. The patron is a genie. You get a lamp, okay? This is amazing. So, if you pick the genie as your patron, so you get a lamp, and you have the ability to go into this lamp, and it says in here that it's like a posh place, like it's got cushions and pillows you have some tea and coffee it's awesome and then what's even cooler about it at 10th level you can take your entire party into the lamp with you so you guys just have a moving base you know just you need to take a long rest in the dungeon just tuck your lamp behind some rocks and just everybody go in there and take a little quick rest it's just flavor i love it it's so it's so cool plus you're getting these elemental powers so depending on which type of genasi you pick as your patron or genie you pick as your patron you get their elemental powers so it's it's really it's cool and then also then at level 14 you have a limited wish ability which basically allows you to just cast super high level like or six level spells just like 
like none other, which is really cool as a warlock. Uh, so lots of cool warlock stuff here. Uh, the one other thing that I definitely want to talk about is that there is this new thing called the Eldritch Versatility, which allows you to change your warlock stuff a lot more. So it's a, a, a new warlock feature that you get at fourth level. Uh, so if you're, if you're like me and you are always changing your evocations, like this is cool. Uh, the other thing, which I don't think I mentioned, there is the, this thing called the, there's a feat called the Eldritch Adapt, which basically allows any class to now pick Eldritch evocations. You get two of them, which is wild. And then even if you're a warlock, you can take this and get two more evocations. So that's incredibly powerful as a warlock. My one big gripe with this is that there are no evocations for Pact of the Blade. So I'm a little salty there, but I will forgive them for giving us five pages of warlock content here. So I like it. Anyway, I've just waxed profusely about warlocks. Also, they include a picture of a tiefling. I get it. Everybody loves tieflings, but we've seen enough tiefling warlocks. Give us some more ASMR warlocks, okay? That's all I ask for. No more of these devil people. I want some of my angel boys. Like, just give it to us. All right. Anyway, that's all I have there. Kevin, what do you got for us? Well, first of all, Tom, I'm picturing a talisman being handed to some royal that you're wanting to rob later as a gift for them to wear. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. Chef kiss there. Oh, man. That's awesome. Or a lamp being handed to someone. (laughs) There's so many good. There's so many. Like I said, talisman and the, the genie are just super cool they're they're great for flavor and then mechanically super powerful lots of battlefield manipulation teleportation lots of extra d8s you're adding to your melee damage super cool stuff there all right well personally i dove into the druid which is not traditionally a class that i play very often but i recently had the opportunity pre-covid to play a circle of the spores druid I played a tortle who was a circle of the spores druid, had the fungus growing on his shell, everything like that. It was a whole lot of fun. So I was happy to see that circle of the spores is one of the subclasses that was included in this book. Now that one, I believe, is from Ravnica, uh, but they were kind enough to place it into the character options here. Um, and I won't delve too long on that one because it is one that people may have already seen in Ravnica, but Circle of the Spores thematically is one of my favorite druid subclasses out there. Uh, you basically, as it sounds, you become one with the fungi of the earth. Um, you have just a halo of spores that's just constantly kind of surrounding you. Um, it's this invisible necrotic energy that is harmless to anyone else until you wield it yourself. Um, and then you have like, you can get the symbiotic entity. Um, you can, when you deal your halo spores damage, uh, you can roll the damage die a second time and add it to the total, uh, melee attack weapons can deal an extra D one D six necrotic damage. Um, I mean, it's just having fungus help you out. Uh, can be just a really interesting addition to a character. Um, And I, especially, like I said, when I was the turtle, I I had the fungus growing on me at all times, took on this persona of someone who's not necessarily afraid of death, like it's just a natural part of life, very druidic stuff. 
uh, focusing on end of life in nature and kind of decomposition. Um, uh, yeah, some the of fungal, the higher, what's the, that? I was just gonna, I, did you, the fungal infestation is like one of my, I love that. So oh my much. gosh, the ability to use your spores to like basically be a necromancer. Oh yeah, it's something it's, back to life and animate it uh, using your fungus. Like it's it's so creepy, um, and it, but it's like you can see this kind of druidic character who it's like, well, that body's not being used. Why why should I let it go to waste when it can provide utility for us at the moment? It's just nature using nature, you know. And then of course you get to uh, the higher level stuff where um, you have your 10th level, which is spreading spores, uh, which gives you the ability to just seed the area with deadly spores that uh, you can use your symbiotic entity as a bonus action to hurl them 30 feet away, swirling in 10-foot cubes. I mean, it's just, you you start dealing some pretty good damage with it. I mean, I have a buddy of mine who does a lot of wild shaping and everything like that. And he kind of pointed out like there are areas where you can deal more damage with that, but I I don't know. I just like the thematics of something like this. And I said, I wasn't going to go on forever about circle of spores, but here I am doing it anyway. Uh, So I might as well end things up with the fungal body where the fungal spores, they're, they're in your body. They've completely altered you. Uh, to where you can't be blinded, deaf, and frightened, or poisoned. Critical hits count as normal unless and unless you're incapacitated. I mean, you just become a harder being to kill, this towering fungal creature. Uh, but druids also have um, the benefit of being one of the only classes in the book that have two new subclasses uh, that have been finalized from Unearthed Arcana and brought to the book uh being the circle of the stars and circle of wildfire now circle of stars is all about your attunement to the heavens uh constellations using starlight uh as sort of a power for you um your starry form that you get at second level uh it's a bonus action and then you kind of take on this starry form yourself rather than wild shaping into a beast or something like that Um, And you can choose a constellation to sort of gain benefits from your starry form. Uh, You have the archer, um, which will help you with some of your ranged spell attacks and uh, arrows that you have. Uh, The chalice is a constellation that actually gives a little bit of a life-giving appearance to yourself. You can regain hit points uh, for someone using some of the abilities with that. And then there's the dragon constellation, which makes, let's see, you have a, when you make an intelligence or wisdom check or constitution saving throw to maintain concentration on a spell, you treat it a roll of nine or lower on a d20 as a 10. So a little bit more of a spell caster thing, uh, a little bit more protection. Uh, and then you move on to some, into some of the other ones. You use star maps for omens under the cosmic omens at sixth level. Uh, it gives you um, abilities rather when you roll an even or odd number on a die with special reaction. Uh, whenever a creature you can see within 30 feet of you is about to make an attack roll on an even roll, uh, you can roll a d6 
to add a number to that total. So you're actually helping out some of your players in, on your team. Uh, the woe roll, which is the odd roll, is uh, just the opposite to subtract from some of the enemy characters. Uh, and you can use this reaction as many times equal to your proficiency bonus. Um, so the sorry form is, it's an interesting form. Uh, it goes into uh, a point where much like the circle of spores, when it taps out at 14th level, uh, you basically become just somewhat incorporeal. Uh, you have resistances to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. It just kind of makes you a beefier person. Okay. And then Circle of Wildfire. Oh, sorry, Tom, you were going to say? On a what level do you get that at? That's at 14. That's the, that's the top. Um, the one that I skipped was the 10th level thing, where uh, it basically improves your starry form, uh, giving you a couple more bonuses to all of the constellations that you cho- that you can run down. Um, and then, uh, and it also, when you choose the dragon at 10th level, if you choose the dragon constellation, you can actually get a flying speed, which is pretty incredible. Uh, it kind of makes up for the fact that you can't shapeshift into a flying creature. <laughs> a dragon? Yeah. <laughs> it only so, makes sense. They will, they will let the player transform into a dragon, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really thematic, but I, I ultimately I kind of find it, it's a little underwhelming, but it is kind of nice that you have options within options. You know, it's one of those things where you can kind of change it up uh, within some of the uh, sub-options anyway. Uh, Circle of Wildfire leads with a quote from Tasha that I particularly like, where she says, I can't tell you how many times I've burned everything to the ground and started over. So, I mean, this is like a evocation style form, uh, something that you don't always see with druids. Um, I mean, druids, but if you think about it, I mean, a wildfire in the forest can be a renewal. So it is, it does stick with the theme of a druid. It's just in a way that you might not think. Um, So, so the spell list gets a lot bigger uh, on this. You start getting some of those flaming evocation spells like burning hands or flaming sphere. Uh, you have um, flame strike at ninth level spells. Um, so although, unfortunately, I don't see that fireball gets added to that spell list. Good for wizards for not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd be a pretty potent addition, uh, probably a little bit too much, but they, you do get, you get Scorching Ray, which is, I, I've okay. always liked that one. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Or, um, and then, like, with this one, uh, you can summon Wildfire Spirit at second level, which is kind of a primal spirit that's bound to you, uh, and, you know, you have this little spirit flying around. They, they include the, uh, the monster box right there on the page, which I always appreciate. And uh, it seems like a pretty, it's just, it's basically a small elemental. I mean, armor class 13, uh, it's hit points adjust with your level, which is nice uh, so that it's not just like an animal companion that a ranger might have. Like if they have a wolf, but the wolf ends up having 15 hit points all the way up to 10th level, you know, Uh, this one adjusts with your, 
with your class and uh it can be it can be pretty damaging uh especially starting at second level like that nice sounds like they uh, did some reskinning of the artificers battle companion <laughs> yeah yeah you know that that does seem a little bit familiar yeah, I think my next sure. character is going to be a circle of the spore, though, just so I can always make the I'm a fun guy to have around joke like all, <laughs> all the time. Stop it, Michael. As you're one, you got no more. Oh, no. Okay? <laughs> every every game is going to be like, it's the fun guy as Gosh. I go into the battle. This is why we don't play together. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. So, all right. Fantastic. So lots of cool, lots of cool stuff here. And like, we, we may have just talked about a lot of stuff, but we have just, this is like oh. scratching like the, the surface here. Oh yeah. I mean, I didn't even get into like, they have cantrip versatility here, which is a lot like the evocation versatility that you were talking about for your warlock. I mean, they have all sorts of little things. I mean, you can even summon familiars now as a druid. That's another little character feature. So much stuff here. So the, one of the things is the next section is the well, group patrons. Hold on. Okay, hold on. Go ahead, Michael. Cause, yeah, because I want to do just like, like a quick sort of overview for everybody just in uh, like, the section. Yeah, I should have read the outline here. Okay, yeah. let's let's do this recap, Michael. Uh, so I just, again, as you said, Tom, we've just barely scratched the surface on all this, but I just wanted like sort of like for this section, like what are our overall thoughts? So, I, so I'll start, as I mentioned before we start recording, I don't pay attention to Unearth Arcana. It just isn't anything that interests me. So everything in this section was new to me. I had no idea any of this existed unless it was again in another book. And overall, I really, really like this stuff. It, you know, uh, there were some things I liked more than others, but there wasn't anything that I read that I was like, oh, that's bad. I, I, I wish that wasn't an option, which I would never do that anyways, because it's optional. I just wouldn't use it. But yeah, I actually very happy with the section. I thought it was very cool. Uh, what about you? So I so I like this. All right. So I, compl- I, I talk about how much I'm not a rules person, but I do like how certain rules stack together. This is a min-maxer's dream here. There are so many powerful things here that you can take, and and there's a lot of stuff that isn't powerful, but I think that they've just included so much content. You're going to find something in here. Like, for example, the Warlock includes three new things, three massive new things. So even if, like, the Fathomless doesn't work for me, the Genie really does. So there's something in here that you're really going to like. Uh, my other thing that I, we haven't talked about it is the art. So there is no repeat art in this book that I can find. There is some, no, I take it back. There is some for the artificer that they pulled, but for the most part, every single class has some new art. It's awesome. I'm, I'm all for it. So I, I, I enjoyed this. I'm not, I'm never going to read. Like I didn't even read the wizard stuff. Cause I hate wizards so much, but like, um, it's okay that me, you're wrong. About my that. opinion, my opinion. <laughs> all right. But I like this stuff. This is cool. The paladin stuff is awesome here. So that's a lot of stuff to like here. What about you, Kevin? Overall, what did you think uh, of this stuff? I'm a huge fan. I way back in third edition, the completes. Though I don't know, I'm sure you guys remember those books. No, nope. uh, they. Oh, <laughs> well, for me, like um, uh, complete fighter, complete wizard. I mean, this just evokes that same kind of energy. Uh, just having all of these options just right there. I mean, those those were always like a wonder for me to behold. Like, look at these brand new options for me. And because this book also includes a lot of brand new subclasses as well, stuff you may have only seen on Unearthed Arcana, or if you're like myself and Michael, 
have not seen because I don't usually pay attention to that area. Um, it's just, it's nice to have, it's nice to have the items pulled from other books so you don't have to d- jump around and it's nice to have the new stuff. It's tinkering around with characters, even though I'm a role player at heart is still a lot of fun for me. All yeah. Right. All right. So, so sorry, Tom, now you can. No, take no, for sure. Michael, thank you for keeping me on track. All yeah. right. So group patrons. Okay. This is pulled directly from Eberron. This is this whole concept that was included with Eberron rising from the last war, but it has been vastly improved. And this is not to say that the stuff in Eberron was bad, but they've added some really cool stuff here. But my big complaint here. All right. They say it's group patrons. All right. We already have a major thing that is called a patron in fifth edition, which is the warlock patron. And this is nothing like that. And it's just confusing. Like, come on, let's get some, let's get some brand like cohesiveness here. And like, come on, come up with a new term. Okay. But anyway, I'll get off my soapbox about terms. Put, put but- an E in there, make it Patreon patreons your group patreons so (laughs) no what the patrons are is it basically provides this glue for the players so if you have a group of players who i would say like some newer players especially this works great for and you want to find something that collectively drives them these are great so it includes eight of these basically groups that all of your players will belong to these groups are an academy an ancient being aristocrat criminal syndicate guild military force religious order or a sovereign being what these include then is it includes like these are certain for the academy for example it'll say like here's some academies that you can belong to i like the sound of that one there you go okay yeah i i (laughs) yes i picked this one on purpose all right so (laughs) you have some academy perks these are some things that here's some benefits for joining an academy here are some people that you may know in an academy and then here's some quests that you may do on an academy and so each one of these different patrons includes these certain sections so it's a lot of it's only 20 pages long but there's a lot of fluff here a lot of things for players to really grasp onto and i think you can really create a cool story here um i love the aristocrat so much like the perk here is that you just have the ability to when you travel you travel in luxury and excessiveness so you basically get to go around town you have like unlimited money your 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 aristocrat patron is just paying for the finest hotel rooms the best restaurants like you are the you are the the adventurers who are living high on the hog here it's super Tom, cool why would you need that if you have a lamp what's that so yeah, I, I like excess. All right, we need excess. Okay, he you know, needs when his you... lamp to be carried in a posh carriage, driven <laughs> yeah, yeah. by like, exactly. eight white horses. I need a pauldron for that. All right, yeah. so um, yeah, so there's some cool stuff here. Did you guys have any? Do you guys have any thoughts about this section here? Uh, this is something I've done on occasion for campaigns just before this existed. Just you know, trying to start a game with a common goal or organization the players start with. So I actually would say this if anything, is more of a DM tool than a player tool. I think yeah. it gives players option, but I think if you're a DM that struggles with how do I get my players together, if you're the, we all always start in a tavern, there's a fight, and that's why we're together, this could be a good avenue to start with to say, okay, you're all part of the same organization. That's why you're together, and now we can start off on this adventure. So I think it's it's a cool addition. Don't think every game needs it. 
uh, but I think some DMs would probably benefit from asking their players to say, let's start this campaign mm-hmm. using a group Patreon. For sure. Patron, not Patreon. Patreon. Yeah, Patreon. We, all have, we all have Patreon on the brain. I'm adding, okay. No, I'm doing that on purpose. I'm adding a need to differentiate it for the Warlock for you. Okay, for sure, Michael. Yeah. Kevin, thoughts? Uh, on- is, I feel like this section was kind of just shoehorned in to add a little extra to the book. Yeah. Um, it does take the concept that was originated in the Eberron book and sort of makes it setting neutral, which I appreciate. And, and, you know, this could be a good tool for some DMs, especially some of the early, like starting DMs who might need a little help with, uh, just like you said, bringing their players together. Uh, the, on the last page of it, they talk about being your own patron, which is something that I've done in the past. Uh, one of my longer winded uh campaigns was set in Sharn and had the players basically running their own sort of like not not necessarily almost like a private investigative firm and they were their own patron and they had a couple of employees and stuff like that I mean you can never have enough for the players to kind of do on downtime in in my opinion like because that some of that can be some of the most unique kind of fluffy stuff that really kind of builds characters and builds relationships is just having something to do that isn't just swinging a sword or casting a spell so uh the being your own patron area was kind of interesting to me too yeah i will definitely that's a good point definitely agree with you that i feel like this is shoehorned but i think it's so that this is like they're trying to include all this disparate stuff from all these different books and this was stuff that was included in eberron so they just threw it in there they changed it from eberron which was good um and it's 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 fine. I think it's cool. I think it's great for new players and new GMs. I don't know if I would necessarily use it, but you know, it's cool. It's there. It's not bad. So there you go. But that leads us into what is my favorite chapter. Chapter three. Magical miscellany. All right, here it is. Tasha's culture of everything. This famous witch. We're finally getting into spells and magic items. Okay. So we have 21 new spells, only one ninth level spell. Okay. 21, only one ninth level. It's only okay. We'll talk about it. All right. And then, but lots of summoning spells. So if you're into that, we're going to get them here. And then we get magic items 47 new magic items. Unfortunately, 10 of them are tattoos and 13 of them are books. So if that's your thing, then uh, you got plenty of stuff here. Uh, so uh, lots of cool stuff here. Uh, Kevin, kick us off. Uh, did you tell us your favorite spell and what was your favorite magic item? So I, I'm I think that I'm a little different from you guys because my favorite spell is a cantrip. Okay, and I think you guys may have chosen a little higher level spells if I remember oh, yeah. correctly. I, I chose the cantrip as well. Oh, never mind. Well, I Michael chose like a super high level spell. Same mind. <laughs> uh, no, my cantrip that I chose was mind sliver. I feel like this could be a nasty little booger. Um, this thing is psychic energy, which is, it's interesting that they added a little bit of the psychic in this book. Uh, they're toeing the waters with the psychic stuff, and I like it. I want to see more of it. Um, but this is a disorienting spike of psychic energy that you drive into the mind of a creature. They, they do get a saving throw on it. Intelligence-based, which isn't always, you know, that's not always, it depends on the creature, but intelligence isn't always a strong saving throw um and if they do if they failed this so if they 
whether or not they fail it, they take 1d6 psychic damage. The thing that makes it a little potent is if they fail, they subtract 1d4 from their next saving throw. So not only does it make it easier for you to hit them with another mind sliver if you continue just hammering them with them, but it sets up, like spikes the ball for a couple other characters if they're doing stuff that revolves around saving throws as well. I mean, you can really kind of start debuffing some enemies with this, especially for a cantrip. I thought it was kind of uh, very utilitarian. It works well, like if they do have like a high con, so you hit them with a mind sliver to give them a negative D4 on their con saving throw that the other character will then throw at them to sort of combo up. And I like that synergy aspect. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're thinking exactly the way I was going with it. Utility, not utilitarian. Utility. <laughs> nice. Yeah, definitely cool. Like, I love good cantrips. Like, they're just so versatile. So having good ones is cool. So I'm going to change this up a little bit. I'm not going to let you talk about your magic item, Kevin. We're going to I'll talk about the rest of our spells, okay? So that makes more sense to me. Let's talk about some more spells. I'm, I picked the I picked a high-level spell here. I picked a seventh-level spell, the Dream of the Blue Veil. All right? Ooh. So here's the thing. So me personally, you know what? It's just so weird. I love warlocks, but I hate like traditional spell casting. It's okay that I, you're wrong about that. Yeah, it's so like <laughs> I feel like it's so cumbersome in combat, but hey, whatever. But I love these big, flavorful story spells. Okay. When I say like when I look at spells, I think of like you got your spells that are, you know, you got your fireball, you know, roll all those dice. Then you have these spells like Dream of the Blue Veil. What this spell does basically you and up to eight other people go to sleep. You have a dream of another world. And then after the spell is completed, you and these up to eight other people are transported to that world. And it calls out. It's like you can go to Toro or Kern or Eberron. And so these are these spells that are like, hey, let's change our campaign but keep the same characters. And this is just a super cool way to do it in the narrative. And I love that. And then there are also this, this whole, there's a whole like sidebar as far as traveling to other worlds. I love that stuff so much. I think it's super cool. Uh, it's really like, that's this. I love these kind of spells, like just these really deep, they don't really have a lot of mechanics to them. Like they're not, they're not meant to be a bounce spell. Like you fall asleep with some of your friends and now, oh, boom, now we're at Eberron guys. Like, let's go f- find a Warforged to hang out with. Like that's, it's, it's to me, that's, I love that stuff. So it's a high level spell too. So, so cool. how, how many people are, how many characters can be included? Up to eight. So I like Up that that eight. could be like an NPC. Yes. That not, you know, takes you there. For a particular reason, that, that could be a lot of almost like a fetch quest that spans the multiverse, or you know. Yes. Oh wow. Yeah. So it's I like cool. That. I love this kind of stuff. So big fan of that. All right, Michael, well, I will stuff? take things right back down to cantrip level uh, because I play mostly one shots, low level, so I'm never going to get to a place where that spell matters. Uh, I chose lightning lore, which is an evocation cantrip. And basically, it's the get over here, uh, Mortal Kombat Scorpion spell. You can take a, a flash of lightning energy uh, to a creature you can see within 15 feet. Um, it uh, must make a strength saving throw, or it moves 10 feet in your direction, and then takes 1d8 damage if it is now within 5 feet of you. And like most cantrips, that spell goes up as you level. 
but I really like the idea. Basically, you're you're moving a creature directly to you, but there's nothing to say that your character couldn't be, I don't know, flying, and you're like 15 feet over a cliff edge, and you pull it out into the open, uh, or you could have something in front of you, like a couple of your friends, and you pull them directly into like a flanking position. Uh, there's just I, I like the aspect of like, how can I manipulate my position so that by pulling you to me, that's more beneficial than just you moving 10 feet. Because it doesn't, it, I said, as long as you can see them and they're within 15 feet, so you could be behind total cover except for a peephole and you could just like smash them into the wall that you're behind or something. I just think that's fun. So I took a uh, lightning lore. It's funny you mentioned that. I'm going to, I'm losing it now as far as this is not the first time lightning lore has shown up. I don't know which book it's in, but Alex uses lightning. He's a storm sorcerer. Uh, He's a storm sorcerer in our Ghost of Saltmarsh game. Lightning lore is his main spell. Like, so that I am like, I have seen this used a ton, and it is an awesome spell in combat. And he used it just like you kind of said, Michael. Like, I've got this super cool NPC, and Alex is just like, yeah, I'm going to use my lightning whip and make him come over here, and we're all just going to punch him. Yep. I, but yeah, super cool. I love that spell, it's so good. I don't know why I'm picturing two spellcasters side by side, one using lightning lure and then the other one immediately using thunder wave <laughs> to just drive them into a wall, like pull, drive, pull, drive. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Yeah. I'm just, I'm going to, I, I'm dying now trying to figure out where that is because it's, it was published before there and it's not in salt marsh. All right. So the magic items. All right. So Kevin, what was the, what was your favorite magic item here? All right, I, I actually went, I feel like the devotee sensor, it, it isn't it isn't a real sexy item. I, it's, it's pretty bare bones, but I like the theme around it. Uh, it's a flail. It deals an extra 1d8 radiant damage on top of that. But the thing, there, it can be counted as a holy symbol, which is always nice. But the thing that I really liked about it, the very thematic thing, is as a bonus action, when you speak the command word, it emits like an incense surrounding you, like a smoke, kind of like what you see in Catholic rituals uh, in our world. Um, And it's this incense that kind of fills up the area and 10 feet around you for a minute. uh, Whenever a character, whenever a creature starts its turn in that incense bubble, uh, it can regain 1d4 hit points. Now, this does say creature, so it could be friendly, could be non-friendly, but I mean, if you kind of set yourself up as this central character in amongst like a group of friends and you kind of have it working right, you can really be kind of boosting your friends constantly. Um, sure, another creature might be able to slip in there, but I just, I like the, uh, the idea of this kind of smoky substance just sort of filling the battlefield. And who doesn't like cool. a yeah? Who doesn't like a flail? I mean, yeah. those are always fun. Yeah, there's I like that because there's not that many. This book does not have a lot of weapons, which is my big complaint. I love magic weapons. There's I feel like there's not enough of them. So the flail though, the it was a super cool um, inclusion here. I really do like that flail. For well, cleric, it's awesome. A lot of times when you do have a magic weapon in fifth edition, it's a super overpowered. Uh, you'll never get your hands on it type thing. Uh, this one's just rare. I mean, it's it's difficult to come by, but it's a weapon you're 
your character might come across and the DM's not going to consider it game breaking, you know? So that's always really nice to see. Yep. Meanwhile, you're picking, I went for the only legendary tattoo in this book. All right. (laughs) So the blood fury tattoo. Okay. So I'm reading to these tattoos. I'm like, okay, whatever. They're okay. Then I got to this thing called blood fury tattoo. And I just want to make a character that has something called a blood fury tattoo. All right. So it's super edgy. Okay. So it's got that going for it. And then here's its power. Okay. You just, if you hit somebody, you just get to roll 4d6 necrotic damage. Like, okay. Like, that's awesome. My, my, my warlock packed with the blade, like, just got even more powerful. And then here's the, what's even cooler. If somebody hits you, you roid out and you get to then just attack them with a melee attack. So whenever you're attacked, you can expend a charge of your tattoo to just hit somebody. Like I would, as a dungeon master, I never want anyone to have this at my table, but as a player, (laughs) I want it like now it's so cool. And also even the flavor of the tattoo, it says that you get this tattoo and then they have to, all right. So, all right. Hit the skip button for the next 30 seconds if you're squeamish, okay? Because they take the needle and it goes into your skin and then the needle itself becomes the tattoo as it transforms into ink. So, like, it's it's very cool. So this reminds me of, like, in high school when you'd, like, punch your buddy in the arm and then they would turn around and hit you so hard in return. Like, they, (laughs) they, like, way, you know, the retaliation is way outsized the initial offense. Uh, But you actually left out when you hit with the damage, you actually get hit points back. You get uh, temporary hit points equal to the damage. So it's even more powerful. Yes. (laughs) It's awesome. All right, Michael. So what I, you got? I took another tattoo as well. I think the tattoos are cool. They're uh, cool. I they're, like they're them. A cool thing. Uh, and again, I went more versatile. I took the ghost step tattoo, which is a very rare level magic item. Uh, all these tattoos require attunement, which is basically the process of getting the tattoos. You kind of mentioned that there's a, you know, that you have to have someone give them to you type of thing. Uh, but this allows you three times per day to go into ghost form. So you basically get three charges. You can expend them as a bonus action. They are all refilled at dawn. While you are uh, in ghostly form, you're incorporeal. It lasts till the end of your next turn. You have resistance to basically your standard attacks and non-magical attacks. You can't be grappled, can't be restrained. And you can move through solid objects as if they weren't there. Uh, or sorry, you could, as if they were difficult terrain. So you like float through walls and all that kind of good stuff. And I just like this more because you can activate it as a bonus action. It can be almost like a defensive thing where... Maybe you try to flee, someone uses a a reaction to uh, hit you. I think this would work. Then you can use your bonus reaction to try to get away from that. Or just as a defensive measure, I like it more there. If someone's trying to hit you with their big, powerful weapon, you're just like, boop, sorry, can't. And I think that's fine. I I like the tattoos. They were originally introduced in Eberron, and I'm glad that they introduced them here and that they added some. So, big fan of those. So, in general, then... Kevin, what did you think about this magical miscellany section then? I, I always love new spells. Uh, you can you can add new spells anytime. And uh, even if they end up being a little less exciting or not, I just like having options to page through. Um, and the magic items, it is kind of sad that we had such a, a dearth of tattoos and books and not a lot of other ones. But it's still, I mean what is it 47 yeah it's a magic lot. items it's a lot and uh 
it's it's still nice to have a whole bunch of new items out there because I mean it was a big deviation from the way magic items were handled in fourth edition. I mean, magic items were a must-have. You you had to have magic items as you leveled up. It was just something you gained. And to go back to fifth edition, which is uh, almost an overcorrection in my eyes, where magic items are so rare sometimes and so difficult to come by that it almost makes it a little difficult for DMs to figure out how to divvy those out to their players. Uh, it's It's nice to have a couple more options there. Yes, I definitely agree with that. Michael, what'd you think? I'm never going to use them anyways because I don't give magic items out in my games. So, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, shame. But I do. Fifth very, edition's the fun for him. <laughs> very, very rarely give out a lot of magic items. I'm very stingy when it comes to that. But I do. I like the idea of magic items that are more versatile, that give you fun strategic options rather than just this lets me hit harder or hit, hit more often. So, I like the flavor on a lot of these. So. So I I liked the spells. Like there's so many cool spells we didn't talk about. Such I love sword burst, the ability to just create spectral swords all around you. It's very cool. Uh, spells are great. The magic items, that's like my bread and butter. I love them so much. I give so many magic items out. It's not even funny. Like I give so many magic items out that players forget that they have magic items because they always have new ones that they're using instead. Like I love them. So, but that said, these magic items in here are not the magic items that I really like because they're very complicated. These are magic items that have like four or five paragraphs written about them. So, so much stuff. I like the simple stuff. That's one of the things I really like the blood fury tattoo. It's very, very simple. It's a paragraph or two. Whereas you have this thing called the, the demonomicon of Igwilf, which is like a whole page um, and it's not even, oh, it is an artifact. So never mind. it can deserve a page. We got six artifacts here, but we've got a lot of books here. I don't feel like there's a whole lot of differences between them. Right. Well, but the but, thing I would say here, though, I think that can be somewhat, um, not the word, uh, confusing is not the word I mean, but it can, I'm going to use it because I can't think of the word, but confusing is that, okay, we're adding, let's say 13 books, but realistically in a campaign, you're probably only going to have one of them. Like, yeah. like the DM's going to pick the one book that they think would be the most fun for their campaign or for the particular player. So even though this book has 13 books, really you're adding one per campaign. Maybe a couple more if you're someone who gives out a lot of magic items like you do. So I don't, it doesn't bother me that there's a whole bunch because it just gives the DM that many more options to pick from. I, I would suggest if anyone's listening, don't just throw all 13 books into a campaign like together it's a quest say, you know pick the one you want type of thing put one of them in there uh yeah. and maybe you know five letters level later put a different one in there dole them out sparingly and i think they'll feel more special but when you read them all together yeah it seems like why do we have so many books or why do we have so many tattoos i think in the game they're going to feel and work differently we're just all going to have like super cool, edgy librarians running around. All right. So, and, no, I, I get it. Also, like they wanted to include like some stuff for like wizards. Like this is Tasha's culture of everything. The front cover shows her with a book. So it kind of makes sense that that's why they're including yeah. them. But I would have enjoyed some more magic bows or spears or whatnot. But with that said, the stuff that they include, these are not very like simple magic items. These are like very, very unique very uh everyone has its own lore some very powerful stuff here so overall i really did like it uh i just thought i wish there was a little bit more a diversity here in the types of items that they included 
Okay. Fair enough. All right. And so our last section is our DM's tools section. Uh, it encompasses basically 50 pages or so at the end of the book. And there's a lot of stuff in here that I particularly like because I have, I have a passionate, uh, just, I have a passion around session zeros. It's kind of become sort of like a bellwether topic for me. I talk about it all the time. I think it's super important. And I like the fact that they gave some advice here about session zeros. Uh, we also have some information on sidekicks, which we've seen before. I know from the essentials kit, I don't know if they're from anywhere else as well. There's a section on parlaying with monsters. There's a section on supernatural regions and how those might have like global effects that the characters want to deal with, as well as magical phenomenon. So again, you have like a magical storm and how does that affect the environment? Uh, natural hazards like avalanches. And then there's a section at the end on puzzles, which I will note comes with the solutions. There was a book recently, I think it was Mystic uh, Odyssey of Theros, one of the areas included some puzzles, but they didn't tell you how to solve them. They were just like setups. Um, so I like the fact here they actually gave you puzzles with solutions as well. Uh, but the section that I wanted to talk about is parlaying with monsters. Because I actually think that is uh, it's something, again, I, I like to try to find ways to use monsters that aren't just we need to hit this thing until it stops moving. And this sort of codifies that idea that Sometimes the best thing to do with a monster is interact with it other than trying to hit it with your weapons. Uh, it gives a bunch of different types of monsters, so like aberrations and suggested skills that would be used to help determine what this creature might want so that you can then maybe gain its favor, calm it down, get into like a parlay situation. So like aberration, you would maybe use arcana to determine what it wants. For a fae, maybe arcana or nature. For an ooze, arcana or survival, so on and so forth. And then it gives a bunch of example desires. So these are tables that the DM can either choose from or roll from. So if they are interacting with a construct, for example... And they decide to try to, you know, can we talk to this thing? It, you know, you would use Arcana to see if you can figure out what it what it would want that maybe you could negotiate with. And then there's a 1D4 table for constructs. Maybe it would like some oil because its joints are getting rusty, a la the Tin Man from Wizards of Oz. Uh, maybe it wants a magic item that has charges that it can use as fuel and that it's almost like feeding it just like you would maybe like a, a bestial creature. Uh, maybe it wants a vessel infused with elemental power, or maybe it wants adamantine or mithril components. So there's a bunch of different types of monsters, beasts, celestial constructs, humanoids, undead, so on and so forth. Uh, it gives you skills that you could use to maybe figure out what they want, and then it even gives you a little bit of a table that would help you determine randomly what it might want. But I like the fact that it's telling DMs, again, because my mind, this is always aimed at newer DMs, that, hey, you don't always have to put things in here that are just to be killed. Yes, combat's fun. Yes, combat is a part of the game. But I personally find a lot more satisfaction in maybe this is something that we can talk with, uh, get it to help us. Either maybe it fights for us or we can bypass that combat. I find that more satisfying and gratifying. Uh, Kevin, what section in the DM's options did you find interesting or useful? Well, I went with sidekicks. Um it's, it's one of those areas where uh, I've been kind of thinking about it because my kids are starting to really want to play Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but things being the way they are, can't really have their friends come over 
and play right now, but this might be a way, instead of creating two full player characters for them to play each so that they, you know, have to deal with like their fighter character and their barbarian character or something like that, sidekicks actually create a way for them to have a little bit more power in their pocket and uh, gives them a little extra character to play around with. Um, and plus, it's just kind of fun to think of, you know, some some helpful uh, characters to run around with them, not nearly as powerful as the player characters themselves. And, you know, uh, you can uh, do a little bit of role play with them as the dungeon master or lend some of the role play to the player characters, depending on what the comfort level is there. And maybe even have something around to be awed by the player characters uh, in some of what they can do. Um, and also they can be really useful. I mean, the expert is one that I always found to be really interesting. This might not be a sidekick that is going to lend much in combat unless like maybe they're standing at the back, like flipping through some scrolls or something and like shouting out some information about this crazy ooze that they, the players just ran across in the middle of the dungeon. And maybe this guy happens to be an expert on oozes or maybe she could help you out with some sort of shambling mound that you run across it's uh it's it's kind of interesting to think a little bit differently than just combat awareness and stuff like well that. again the expert kind of marries well with parlaying with the creatures maybe the expert's the one who has the skill they need to realize the shambling mound is x y or z and then you know again it's a it's a quest to be fulfilled not a creature to be overcome Absolutely. And I love that they can level up with the player characters too, uh, be, become a little bit more powerful in their own right uh, and become, you know, maybe some powerful NPCs that they don't always use, but when they do, here they are ready and willing to help. So uh, sidekicks, they lay them out pretty well here. Uh, they've got their own proficiencies. They've got their own features. Uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, it's a major improvement because they were originally included in the essentials kit. And they were very, very lackluster there. So this was definitely a huge improvement over that. So I was glad to see that here. I love the artwork in this section too. Um, you have like, I mean, look at that. You've got like a tortle with a yes. cane and stuff like that. A little, um, And you've got like a little impish creature there, uh, a winged kobold um, and some of the other sidekicks. I mean, these are some of the most fun little characters that i've seen in the whole book like yeah they're, they're just different you know since you brought it up i will say this the art in this book is great i think i already mentioned it that there's no repeat stuff here it's just throughout this book is fantastic art really good job here so which so, what is go ahead michael well, say so if you want to wrap up the DMing, then we can get into that. We'll talk about yeah. the So one of the one of my notes here was for my section, I want to talk about the environmental hazards because each – what they include here is we have these 15 environments. So these are environments that you run into a lot within a fantasy role-playing game. So your haunted environment, your planar environment, your ocean environment – and each one of these sections includes a fantastic piece of art to just really give some inspiration. What I love with this is that there's a, each one of these sections includes a D100 table. 
All right. So we have talked so much about how we love Forbidden Lands on this podcast. And one of the reasons that we love that so much is because of all of the random charts for different environments. And these are now, it's pulling something that I love from other games into Dungeons and Dragons, which is this whole idea of you enter an environment and then there's all these different things that can happen within that environment. And it takes something off of my shoulders as the dungeon master to be creative here. I got so much stuff on my plate. I just roll a D100. Oh, now there's a ghost that all of a sudden appears in this haunted house that wants your blood. Like that stuff is to me, it's, there's lots of, there's lots of content here. Uh, So I was, I love these environments so much. And also I got to talk about it. Here's my ghost of Saltmarsh stuff. So they include Eldritch Storms. All right. These first appeared in the ghost of Saltmarsh book. And we have included these already in our game where basically one of the storms is a necrotic storm. So basically all of a sudden pieces of like zombies start raining from the sky as part of this torrential downfall Mm. or like a blood storm. So there's all these different things that they include that you can just use to add your current, make your current scene more interesting. So I was a big fan of this section here. All right. Very cool. So um, at that point, I I mean, I think we can kind of move into the end here, just uh, do our overall thoughts and our scores and everything. So Tom, do you want to take back over and lead us through that? Yeah. So the first thing, Kevin, first time being on a review here. So the first thing that we want to talk about is the fluff. Okay, this is the this is the the flavor here. Did it did it interest you? So let's talk about what you think about the fluff within this this book, the story uh, stuff. It's very it's a very fluff light book. Um, you, it, but that's by design. I yes. mean, Wizards has been creating these incredibly in depth adventure campaigns that have necessitated tons of fluff great story setups and npc backgrounds and things like that but really other than delving into a little bit of tasha's background you're you're just not getting a lot of fluff there um and that's kind of expected with something like this so then on our very scientific c to a plus rating scale where would you put this oh boy um as far as fluff goes uh i'd Give it maybe a B minus. Okay. You know, because yeah. the fluff that's there is good, but there just isn't much of it. Yeah. So I will agree that for me, the fluff that's there is, I thought is, I thought it was very cool. Like the Tasha stuff, the little tip, I got more out of her notes here than I ever did out of Volos or Morning Cadence. They were just so much more interesting. I love them so much. So I'm going to agree here. It's not a fluff oriented book. So keep that in mind so i'm going to give it a i'm going to give it a b minus two but with that said it's good what's included here uh, i agree oh. with both of you though i actually in my mind i give it a little bit more leniency to some of the mechanical bits give you role play flavor and so i'm sort okay. of leaning into that so i'm going to say b plus uh and then i actually i well i'll cover it when we get to the art part so uh, yeah b plus for me for fluff okay well michael since you started talking about it, before we get to the art we're going to talk about the crunch Okay, so where would you put the crunch? Uh, What'd you think? I mean, that's what this book is. I mean, again, it's the opposite of love. It's all new mechanical options for all the character classes. It's new subclasses, new feats, new spells, new magic items. 
I mean, to me, this is an A plus. Like, it, this is what the book is supposed to be, and I like pretty much everything in there. There's things I like more than others, but there wasn't anything that I'm like, nah, I'll pass on that. So for me, it excel, excels at what it's trying to do. So I, I'm going to say A plus. All right, A plus. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give it a B plus here. All right. So the reason I do that is I don't. I don't get any sense of cohesiveness here. All right. There are things here that are very powerful and there are things here that are very weak. With that said, I don't think everything necessarily needs to be a hundred percent balanced. I think you pick what you want to play, but so with that said, I definitely think we're going to see a lot of, we're going to see a lot of people dipping into the, uh, a lot of the, the, we're going to see a lot of more dips into monk and warlock, I think with this book being out now because i think that the there's some very powerful stuff here um so i think what's here is it's good it's a lot of stuff and i will think say that the one note that they give at the very beginning is very important this is optional so dungeon masters if any player wants to use one of these things at your table or if they say hey i'm multi-classing with something from this book double check with them and just kind of just talk about it and make sure that it's not going to absolutely destroy your table so you're going to be very careful with this book so that's that's my thoughts here kevin uh, what'd you think so i'm i'm sort of going between a minus and a plus i I think i have to land solidly on an a minus just because I mean, this book, like it is, it's all, it's crunch. Like that's the, the essence of this book. I think that people are going to come to this book for the player options, which makes up most of the book. And that's, you know, that's the best part of the book. Um, the new spells and the new magic items, uh, there's some good and some bad in that area. Well, not bad, but you know, there's some, there's some things in there that, uh, feel like they might've just been added to add more. Um, the, the Patreon, the patrons, I almost said Patreon. Thanks, Michael. Uh, the patrons were added. And like I said, it, it felt a little shoehorned. It doesn't feel like it has any connection to Tasha. Like, uh, you know, but it is a cauldron of everything. So it's kind of an amalgamation of a lot of different things. And I think that's where the minus comes in, uh, just because, you know, um, it, it does not everything gels together perfectly. Uh, I do feel like the DMs tools, the new stuff there is really well thought out. Some good DMs tools, some very interesting things there. Uh, a couple parts in the middle that seem a little, they're not bad. They're just a little bland. So, but A minus, I mean, that's a great rating in my eyes. So my last thought here, every single person definitely needs to now take the feet that allows you to take some warlock evocations because then you, <laughs> especially as a spellcast, because you get the one thing I forgot to mention, the Eldritch Mind, you have advantage on all of your saving throws for your concentration spells, which is like, grief. yeah, I know. So like, that's what I'm saying. Like, there is some stuff here. Like, if you're not careful, like, and if you have a player who's really good yeah. at min-maxing, they are going to be coming to the table with an absolute god all right so well there's the telepathic feat i mean you get all the player characters at the table who take the telepathic feat and they can all talk to each other in their heads i mean that's, that's cool. it's really cool i i like it but it's definitely powerful yeah lots of good options here all right so so
Let's talk about the art and the overall layout of this book. Kevin, what'd you think? I mean, the art's great. I, I've i loved all of 5th edition's art. Uh, I think that, Tom, you've mentioned a couple times the the redundancy sometimes that you see in some of the books. And you just, I didn't even notice it until you said it. And I've been flipping through it while we've been talking. Like, there's pretty much none. I mean, yep. it's it's all brand new art. And I, they've been knocking it out of the park with the art in 5th edition. I, I really do enjoy it. So C minus to A plus. Oh yeah, that's right. It. I have to give it a rating. Got to give it a rating. Um, We're all metrics here. I feel like I need to reward the fact that they went with fresh art throughout. Uh, I mean, I got to give it an A plus. I mean, I love the artwork. It's good. I love these big page spreads of Tasha yeah. playing chess with Mordenkainen. So I mean, good. things like that. Like she's she has a a chat with uh, one of the devils or demons and, and just kind of like leaning up against the glass, showing you how powerful she is that the devil's even talking to her as an equal. I mean, it's, it's great thematic art. So there, I will definitely agree. I'm going to, so I'm going to go ahead and give this and I'm going to give this an A plus. Okay. So because I have, since this edition came out, like the the middle part of fifth edition, there was so much repeat art, and it was so annoying. Every single book had the exact same Aarakocra and Kenku. Like it was brutal how much they repeated. Like there's like three books with this Aarakocra in it. So the, there's only I can only find two pieces of repeat art, and that was with the Artificer. And I'm going to give him a pass on this because the Artificer was only in the Eberron book, and you're introducing it here. And these full page spreads of tasha are just so good and one of the things tasha evolves throughout the book i don't know if you all noticed this the very first picture of tasha is her just sitting at baba yaga's hut as a young girl talking to some fairies and then it like i think the last pit the last picture of tasha is where she is like talking to this being in another dimension so like it like Throughout the book, you'll see Tasha progress and becoming a more powerful wizard. And so I thought touches like that were super great. Um, also, the all the classes are laid out in a very easy-to-use way where each subclass has their own little piece of art. So it's these little things like that that were great. So I'm going to give this an A+. All right, Michael. Uh, so I also really liked the art as well. And I had two in particular that I wanted to call out. The first was the one that Kevin already mentioned, which is the one with Tasha playing chess with Morton Caden. Uh, and my favorite thing here is if you read the caption, it says, Tasha prepares to win another game of wizardly chess against her rival, Morton Caden. But if you actually look at the chessboard, Tasha doesn't have a king. All she has is a queen and a knight. So she's cheating. Like, how does that work? Because if you look at Mordenkainen's sign, he's got a king who's hiding behind the queen because it's like a wizardly version, so they're animated pieces. Think the uh, hollow chess on uh, Star Wars. But she definitely is cheating. That's the only reason why she's winning, and I love that. But if you look, at, and that was page 138, but if you look at page 167, there's artwork here about the uh, the mimic colony. Yes. And so if you look, it's one of those things where the longer you look at it, the worse it becomes. Because everywhere there's like the teapot's a mimic, the flower pots are a mimic, the chair's a mimic, and then you realize, wait, they're sitting inside of a mimic, like a giant 
moss around them. So not only, like literally everything in that picture is a mimic. Uh, and I just thought that was really cool. So those are my two favorite pieces. I love the art, A+. Yes, okay. So this is this is it then. We all love the art. So our final thing, let's give a final score. Okay, Michael, we're gonna, so, so Kevin, we're going to give you, you get a chance to think about this. We're going to start with Michael. You're going to finish this off. So Michael, overall. Solid A. Uh, I really like the book. There are a couple things with it I think are a little bit odd. Like I personally feel like they only added the DM stuff in there so that DMs would buy it. Yeah. So that 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 when their players wanted to use the stuff in it, they would have a copy so they could review it and allow it or not allow it. So I kind of feel like the DM stuff, while I actually think it's great, it feels tacked on to this particular book. Because uh, I don't, it doesn't really thematically fit in my mind. But I'm glad they included it. But it does mess with the theme a little bit. But I still like the book. Uh, but it is optional. Keep that in mind. Solid A for me. Okay. So when I first went into this book, I was very classic Tom. I was like, well, they're just recycling stuff. But then I started to realize like why they're recycling it. It's so people don't have to go to like a bunch of different books. And so that I really appreciate. And I'm going to go ahead and give this book an A. All right. So the reason that I want to give this an A is because if you go look at Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, and then you look at this book, we have come so far as far as quality goes for player books. The this is a this is great art. So many player options. I think that if you are playing Dungeons and Dragons, this is like if this is your system that you like, this is you have to buy this book. So A for me. Kevin, what'd you think? All right. Uh, I'm, I, I almost wish that I could change things up just to be a little bit different, but I got to give it a solid A as well. Uh, the book, the only thing problem I have with the book is I, I could have had more. Like, I feel like the book could have included even more, but that's just my own selfish desire because yep. I, the stuff in there is great. Even the stuff that we kind of commented on in comparison to other sections of the book seem a little bit bland. It's really only when you're holding it up to the other parts of the book it's uh i mean it's a great book solid a yeah Uh, i think we all like this one um so it's 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 a it's a good book plus it's great covers love it and i guess i should say we should have done this at the top oh yeah tommy you have to remind me we did get press copies sent to us so i got a copy of both i gave tom one of the two i of course kept the alt cover kevin also got a press copy sent to him so we were given press copies from what's with the coast we should mention that though hopefully people who listen to this should know by now that that's really not going to overly influence our opinions because when tom doesn't like stuff he'll tell you yeah, exactly. Go listen to our Evron review. I slammed that art so hard. Like, oh, Kevin, if you're a big fan of Evron, don't listen to that, man. Well, and okay. the descent, oh, no. the I, descent I into right Avernus. Uh, I've been seeing the same Eberron art since third edition. I mean, they, the fact that they repackaged third edition Eberron. I mean, I don't want to make this a playbook. Yeah. I could go on and on about yes. Eberron. And again, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, the artwork was a big letdown. If you check yeah. out our descent into Avernus, we spent about half the episode <laughs> correcting and making it better, which Justin did go and then make there. He made a, oh. a, a product to do what we talked about doing in that, uh, in that review. So, yes. uh, we, you know, we like wizards of coast. We like fifth edition, but I, I, I like to think that our reviews are still honest opinions. Yes, exactly. We have our good ones and this is a good one. I yes. like this book. All right. I, so, I invite anyone to go back and read through many of my write-ups on my blog. Uh, while I tend to be very 
um, generous with my praise, I, I do mention the parts that I have difficulty with. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining, Tom. Thank you for, uh, as always, for uh, hanging out with me. And you kind of, you mostly organize these things. I just show up and then talk at the top, talk yeah, at yeah. the end. Uh, we've got some more reviews in the the queue that I'm excited to get to. But just to throw it out to anyone listening, if you have products that you yourself would like, uh, that you made that you'd like us to review, get in contact. I can't promise, but we'll look into it. Uh, but if there's a, a a product that you would like us to review because you just like to hear our opinions on, let us know that as well. And we'll see what we can do. Uh, so for myself, thank you for listening. Uh, Kevin, one more time to say goodbye and let people know where they can find you and any of your work that you would like them to go check out. Absolutely. Uh, you could always visit my blog for some of my past reviews uh, and some other Dungeons and Dragons and other RPG tools at uh, Melvin Smith's Geekery. Um, or you could find me online on Twitter at SharnDM. Excellent. Thank you, sir. And then Tom. Uh, you can follow me at BezcarTom on Twitter if you want to catch what I'm talking about. And then you can catch our Ghosts of Saltmarsh streams on the RPG Academy's Twitch every other Wednesday. And also you can listen to me on the RPG Academy's Show and Tell podcast. My name is Michael. You can find everything I do at the RPG Academy. Uh, if you're not already in our Discord, please consider joining there. Just, you got to hit me up on Twitter for an invite because we do keep it closed. It's a pretty small group. And we're talking currently Mandalorian Season 2, uh, all the Disney stuff that was announced yesterday. My mind is exploding from the what if. It looks amazing. Loki looks cool. WandaVision is awesome. Fantastic Four! Oh my god! Uh, so please consider joining our uh, our community there and hanging out with us. But until next time, thank you. And remember, if you're having fun. You're having fun. You're doing it right. You're doing it right. Thanks and bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show, and if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash therpgacademy. Or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time.
The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.